AT&T ThreatTrack is a roundtable discussion of the latest network security trends and news conducted by AT&T data security analysts. Complete video of this show is available at techchannel.att.com. Oh, hey guys, how are you doing? How are you doing, John? I'm doing great, how are you, Brian? Good, thanks. And uh, we have Matt here as well. Yeah, doing all right, Brian. Yeah, great. Each year we try to make some prediction of what's gonna go on in the next year. This is a great time of year. We get performance reviews and accomplishments. And But the sort of the good part is planning what we're gonna be doing for the next year and how we focus on things. And so, you know, it's a good time to make some predictions. I have my prediction, and I'm looking forward to talking with yours. I'll go ahead and start. What I see really happening now is that cloud services are really coming of age. It's really coming of age in terms of mainstream enterprise, that is big enterprise organizations are venturing out into cloud and actually starting to use them for real enterprise applications. I think we're gonna to continue to see, what I see is mistakes occurring in the security space. Cloud services really have, matured in the sense that there are a lot of security capabilities available to them. I'm not aware of any significant issues that have come up that are really native to the cloud services themselves. But we certainly have seen a lot of cases where mistakes have occurred that is, as organizations are moving out there, it's a new environment. You know, you're not working with your typical operating system file permissions so much as you're working with the security controls that are provided by the cloud service provider. It's a whole new world, lots of learning that needs to take place and mistakes are occurring. And so actually a lot of this is actually credited to uh, Chris Vickery where he's been going out and able to find circumstances where data is out there, the permissions aren't configured correctly, and it's exposing data to the internet. You know, it's probably better to have a white hat like Chris finding these things and exposing them and making people aware of it. But I think we're gonna to continue to see a lot of mistakes because of that learning curve, because they're embracing it, and because I think a lot of organizations are probably getting pressure that is forcing them out into that environment before they're ready to do it. So what are your thoughts, Matt? I think I'm pretty much on board with what you're saying. I mean, it's, it's very interesting to see that these same few, like the handful of, of configuration mistakes that folks like Chris Vickery are, are mm -hmm. exploiting to find this information, these are things that you need to be aware of. And yet, there's still a significant number of people who are out there and they're rushing things out to market yeah. because it needs to be in the cloud. It needs to be in the cloud now. And I think as these things get more complex and people expand to different services, you know, Cloud security in Amazon is going to be different than cloud security in Microsoft mm -hmm. or anybody else down the line. You're going to need people who are experts in those specific cloud platforms, regardless of what they know about Unix or right. Windows hosting or all the other areas of expertise that people have been building on for a while. Now you've got to have someone who knows exactly what they're doing in this environment. And mm -hmm. I think things are going to slip through the cracks. I think yeah. you're absolutely right. Yeah. What do you think, John? I think my biggest prediction, I guess, on this, regard, uh, on this for next year is that I think we're going to see a lot more maturity happen in the logging and forensics space because it's gonna be necessary. We can't track these mistakes if we can't see them or find out what happened. So I think that's, that's a need and hopefully we'll see that filled next year. Yeah, John, you're absolutely right. And this is actually part of that learning curve that is there are services, there are a lot of startups in this space, there have been some native capabilities they're developing. There are all kinds of facets of that change that are still on that learning curve, the exposures tend to be the most obvious, that is, you can go and find those. But it's less obvious, you know, if you're an external white hat trying to find things, or even a black hat for that matter, 
but it's less obvious to what extent there's proper monitoring in place to analyze for the events taking place, whether there's a forensics or response capability in place. Mm -hmm. But that whole set of activities associated with a cloud environment needs to be different than the traditional methods if you're in an enterprise. And so, I, John, I think you're absolutely right. I've seen certainly the commercial providers have responded to these needs, but whether organizations are really prepared and understand how to use them and integrate them as part of their activities, there's no doubt in my mind that our organization's gonna make mistakes, as you said, Matt, get things out there too early, not have all the I's dotted and the T's crossed and, and have some, uh, Learn, yeah. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> learning, learning things the hard way taking place. So Matt, what do you think? What's next? So I know that on the previous show, someone made a rule that you're not supposed to use the IoT as your yearly prediction. It's just too easy. <laughs> because it's too easy. I am, I am going to override that. And there's a reason why, because I yeah. think not only is the IoT going to continue to be a serious problem in terms of the stuff that we've already seen, mm -hmm. like DDoS attacks and things, silly things like Telnet, terrible passwords. I think we're going to see an evolution in that. I think yeah. the low hanging fruit has officially been cleaned out. Everyone knows how to get into everything with a, you know, username is root, password is root. That kind of very simple stuff, I think, has had its time. Mm -hmm. And even if people continue to put devices on the network, I'm, it's no longer as exciting as people were developing you know, unique and new exploits for these devices and finding unique and new ways of using them other than just creating DDoS traffic. I mean, mm -hmm. we've started to see scenarios where people are using them for proxies mm -hmm. so that you can use it as an anonymization. So it looks like it's coming from a home router because it is literally coming from a home router. Right. I and, also, that, and that would be valuable for click fraud activities, click fraud, yep. uh, uh, phishing sites perhaps, although perhaps credential a little bit less. But, yeah. Anything where it has to look like it's coming from a lot of different places at mm -hmm. once. And it, it, you can hook that, your, your one attack box up to 60 proxies mm -hmm. and just go. I think that's going to be interesting in the, in the coming year. I think that we're going to see a lot more interesting devices. People keep pushing these devices to market because they need to be cheap, they need to be easy to use for most users, and people are cutting corners, obviously. And I've, mm -hmm. I've spoken to people who develop for these devices, and I understand why they're pressured to cut corners, because they have so much space they can store their code in, and they have so much time they can mm -hmm. develop their software in before it has to get to market. Mm -hmm. But I think we're going to start seeing more interesting things happen, and I think we're going to see more of an impact to devices that are connected to these devices. So we've got devices like these wireless to ethernet bridges or things that are on the cellular network that bridge to like an ethernet device somewhere. Something that was never really supposed to be on the open internet and you've just plugged it in. And the impact of not only having access to those devices over the network, but the ability to take them down is going to impact a lot of different sectors. And I think that's gonna be the scary thing is not only can someone take over your device, they can deny you access to whatever it was you were previously using it to put on the internet. Mm -hmm. We've also seen some, some vigilantism in this space, some people who are trying to build IoT botnets to take out IoT botnets. Well, I mean, I, I'm on kind of defense of whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, but... Yeah, and I understand why you're saying that too, because <laughs> and any, any concrete solution to the IoT problems that we're having today, especially the DDoS botnets, is attractive. Except for the fact that there's, one, the people that are doing this are not they haven't been given any specific permission by the owners to take mm -hmm. care of this problem. I don't think you could ever get that kind of permission from a government or and a that's private organization. A problem as well. Right. And there's no one coordinating body that says, yeah, you've got the, the, the green light to go and take out a bunch of devices that are infected. That's probably never going to happen. Mm -hmm. But the other problem is that the, the effects of installing whatever software you're putting on, if you're writing it for how many different IoT devices and variants are out there, 
chances are whatever you're putting on is not going to work on all platforms and it may have adverse side effects and you may take down something. Mm -hmm. Just like I was just saying with the, the bridge devices, you may deny the use of some critical piece of equipment to the open internet in your attempts to try and solve the IoT botnet problem. Yeah. When you say you, you're putting as, yourself as in the mindset of the attacker, attacker here. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I agree with you thoroughly. You know, there's a lot of work to determine what really should be done to help improve the IoT space. Mm -hmm. NIST is looking at some standards and how to influence the development of devices to make sure that they're in a good secure state. The auto industry is doing a lot of things in the space. I always like to point this out. There's a significant difference between those that are in the IoT you know, device space that are doing a good job mm -hmm. versus the ones that are either not doing a job on security at all mm -hmm. or, or at least not doing a very good job at it. You know, I've been kind of fundamentally saying for some time now that the one fundamental requirement that you need to have in IoT devices is the ability to fix a problem that is to update the software on the device without human intervention. That is to be able to have either the manufacturer or some administrator associated with the devices to be able to fix things once they realize that there's a problem. Very few devices really have that fundamental capability today. Mm -hmm. Moving forward, that's really what we need to be looking for. In fact, a lot of basic devices have this today. DVRs, you know, that are internet connected have these, uh, these kinds of capabilities today. They also have a user interface that lets the user know and potentially that, make a decision. Right. And that's, yeah. that's what makes them, I kind of think, uniquely prepared for that kind of an upgrade mm -hmm. feature. There are a lot of positive developments that are taking place, but, and this is the thing that amazes me, is almost every time I talk with somebody in the IoT space, they have some new concept that I had never, I don't think in a, a hundred years I would have thought of that kind of, idea. there are so many new ideas that are coming about and it has the opportunity to proliferate so many different types of devices that as new organizations that have never been in the IoT space before, never been in networking before, start getting connected to networks, it just opens the door for possibilities of mistakes to occur. And that's why I say ultimately being able to fix the mistakes is the important part of the solution. I'll add one more thing to that. I was just thinking about the, the latest OWASP list and some, mm -hmm. some bugs have been taken off the OWASP list and I was listening to an, an interview with somebody who worked on that list and they said the reason we took it off the list is because the frameworks that are available to developers are just sort of handling mm -hmm. this. There's like a flag you set somewhere and it handles that class of bug completely. If we can do the same sort of thing for IoT devices, if there is a development framework out there that allows you to do things like automatically generate a non-standard default password, yeah. you know, handle some of the other bugs that are prevalent within the IoT, that could go a long way to solving it. Really powerful toolkits to be able to support software updates in a secure manner. Mm -hmm. Having uh, methods so that devices don't have a such thing as a default password that is uh, usable across many devices. They're not complicated concepts. Mm -hmm. The technology to support it might be a, you know, a little tricky, but to have the toolkits available and to be able to support that fairly readily should be not that difficult to do. If we had such a thing as a, a wish list to go along mm -hmm. with our predictions, I think it would be having the tools to simplify development of IoT devices so that mm -hmm. at least future devices, we can solve some of these classes of bugs. Mm -hmm. That would be great. And if we can do that in the next year, maybe I'll count it as a, a sort of a long shot yeah. prediction. I'd like to see that happen. Yeah. Yeah. Your thought too, Matt, about using the IoT stuff as a gateway 
is something I hadn't really considered. I, I'm old enough to remember, you know, when we used to have data kit networks and we had to put devices in to get them on the net, you know, the, and the Ethernet. And, and those gateways, you know, you didn't think those devices in the background never were intended to be on an Internet. You know, they were data kit devices. And now they're on the, you know, on a, on a network that, you know, has a lot more users and a lot more access. And, and, and there's a lot more exposure there. Yep, absolutely. All right, John, let's just, uh, what, are you, what are your thoughts about, the, uh, about 2018 and what security will bring? And I, I think in, the, in sort of your normal tradition here, you've put it together as a quiz. I, I cheated. Instead of giving one prediction, I give you like a, a number of them, but in the form of a quiz. So it's one quiz, right? <laughs> so so I, I think you guys will get these pretty easily because I think that these are almost, in some ways, no-brainers. But it's just something to think about. You know, for 2018, do we do we think there's going to be more protocol vulnerabilities? I think it's that's an easy one, like like the crack, the the other you know Wi-Fi. Do we think that's going to happen? Wait a second. Are we actually writing his predictions for him? Is that how this works? <laughs> That's what I'm getting out of this. <laughs> so so I, I do think so. These are issues that I think are going to be more and more looked at from a basic how do things work to 2018. So I'm going to give you my answer, which is, that yes, I think there's going to be more. Yeah, you know, it's interesting you say this, John, because I think we're currently in a state, particularly with the IoT stuff, that is there's a correlation or a relationship between the motivation the availability that is the opportunity and the actions that take place. Actually, it started in 2014, but I would say the, the, the really hot year was 2015 going into 2016, that there were so many like CCTV DVRs out there mm -hmm. to be able to build botnets almost as big as you wanted to, that you didn't need to do anything complicated. You just get a handful of you know, default passwords and go out and grab all the devices and do your thing. Yeah. So why do anything more complex? Now what's been interesting is more recently we've seen in some of these attacks, perhaps attributable to the Bricker bot, mm -hmm. that there's been a little bit of a shortage out there in the devices. That is from an attacker's point of view. And so they've started to do more complex exploits. And to your point, John, there are a lot of tools that have been out there Perhaps the code developed, you know, maybe 20 years ago that did not perhaps have good practices. As better security practices go into place, there, there are perhaps opportunities to, uh, or motivations to go with it to be able to exploit those and then bring those to the surface. And we, and we have, and we have better, we have better like fuzzing tools to see those, you know, those boundary checks that aren't made and the, you know, those things that. People just didn't have the ability to or didn't even think about. You know, I saw a demonstration recently. It was uh, associated with, I think, a DEF CON presentation where they were demonstrating use of artificial intelligence to perform SQL injection attacks. Rather than brute force it, it actually put a thought process into it to say, oh, this is the pattern that you expect to see. Now I can build patterns that would be logical to expect it to be okay. also successful in, in producing attacks. So those types of things provide the opportunity, unfortunately, in some cases, mm -hmm. to develop more sophisticated attacks, but hopefully it can also be used to help identify issues and to bring those to the surface and get them corrected. So sure. very but good prediction, John. Sorry for taking so long on that, but that's... Good. And then so, so, the, so the next prediction, I guess, uh, from a prediction perspective, it, it, these, some of these may not be true. <laughs> you think, do we think there's going to be a surplus or a deficit of security professionals in 2018, reports of, at least reporting? Well, one of my, one of my backup predictions related to uh, the use of artificial intelligence and in security, I see it becoming a lot more practical 
in the coming year, I see much more rational thinking about how to apply artificial intelligence and security, but I don't think it's going to replace the people. <laughs> so uh, I think we still, in fact, rational application of artificial intelligence requires people to be able to facilitate that. So I think if there's anything that's going to happen, the level of people that are needed in security will go up in the sense that more of the traditional mundane jobs in security, you know, will, will I don't think they're going to evaporate, but they're going to diminish. And it's going to be more people that not just understand security, but are able to map that security knowledge into the domains of applying that knowledge to use artificial intelligence to solve problems mm -hmm. or in other types of automation activities. It's not enough to be a security expert. You have to be able to figure out how to solve problems in the security space and make that automatic. Yeah, I think for the near future, we're not going to see a sudden explosion of security talent anytime soon. I think we're going to have to wait for the next generation of, of, of folks going through college to finally have that education. Not to say that you necessarily have to have a college education to excel in this field, but I think once it becomes part of that the standard education, you're going to see a real growth in it. Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, interesting uh, along those points, Matt, you know, I had the opportunity to uh, participate in a panel discussion alongside Jeff Moss, oh, yeah. the creator of DEF CON, or Black Hat. Both. Oh, actually, okay. And so, uh, but you know, one of the things he pointed out really early in the discussion is that for the current generation of security experts, they were forced to learn by basically hacking into things and, you know, formalized education opportunities fundamentally didn't exist. Mm -hmm. And so then we started getting to a generation now where we have formalized education opportunities, but it's not clear that those education opportunities have matured to the point where people are getting good, solid, practical knowledge. Mm -hmm. And so there's still a lot of learning that needs to take place. So I think there's still a level of maturity that's needed in the education. So to your point, Matt, I think it's the next generation that really is gonna have the opportunities in the education space. In the meantime, I think we still need to be thinking about a little bit out of the box, so to speak, in terms of what are the best candidates for positions? Is it that they have a certification or is it that they have perhaps a little bit of a shady background, but hopefully one where they've come around and are able to use those? It's just a, a food for thought. Although I'll stand by my statement that we're not gonna see a growth in the number of people in the field until we have formalized education. I think the ones who truly excel are the ones who are actively interested in it. And that mm -hmm. may mean they, they got into it at a young age, or there's some other reason that they have an interest in security other than just to be in the field that's growing and to make a lot of money. Just a quick analogy, I think there's a big distinction between those that are academically trained and those that are trained in practice. And sure. the analogy I think of is that, you know, if you want to be an auto mechanic, you can go to school and you learn how to, you know, you know, adjust carburetors or, you know, replace fuel injectors and things like that. But the real mechanic knows how to get out a rusty bolt. That's funny. That's <laughs> he probably funny. knows five ways to do it. Yeah, that's exactly right. The last quiz question here is do we think that 2018 will give us a new overly publicized vulnerability or attack with a cute little name? Oh, really? I would say yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think so too. I There's think it will happen something. in January, let's put it that way. It's interesting how the media operates today. It's really important that they capture people's attention. And so having a catchy headline inevitably is the case. It's it's true in politics. It's also true in cybersecurity. And that's one of the challenges that exist. And I think that's one of the benefits of threat track is that we try to 
put a little balance and some quantification into the activities that we're seeing uh, on the network because that is what really helps to put things into perspective where there really is a problem and perhaps where it's been a little bit sensationalized. I think we need to create, and you know, we have the CVSS scores. We also need a, like either a FUD or a hype index that you know that we give to to, to issues just to see how much you know press we're going to get. <laughs> that way we can evaluate that way. <laughs> it sounds like a patent idea there, John. You could run out and uh, work on that one. <laughs> okay, I will. All right. Well, I think that sums it up for today. views expressed on AT&T ThreatTrack are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of AT&T or any other person or entity.